0: Grab a seat. Hey, welcome everybody this morning. Um, And I I just want to say my name is Zach. I am the campus pastor here at the Anderson campus. And it is fun to have all of us together in one building. And if you are new with us today, I just want to give you an extended welcome and say we are glad you're here worshiping with us. Uh, This is an unusual Sunday that we have all of our campus represented here today. And so just a fun time as Tim said, to see faces that uh, I don't get to worship with on a Sunday regularly. But today, to be with you today, is a great day. So thank you all for being here. Let me um, be the first to wish you all a happy new year as we are on the verge of a new year. Um, I, I love the Christmas holidays, and I, I hate to say this. I'm not a ball humbug, but I hate Christmas because it's over. Christmas day, it's over. You know, all the buildup is over. But then we look for the new year. And one of one of uh, my wife and I's little traditions, someone gave us this when we were engaged. A little silver ball. Great thing it opens up. And inside we put, it's, it's kind of what's called a wishes ball, but we put our prayers for the upcoming year. What do we want to see God do in the year to come? And, and we take that and we read them and we look back over the years and we Look ahead to what God might have for us this coming year. And and that's one of the things about a new year. Especially on New Year's Eve, we look back and we look forward as we're on the verge of this new thing. And and I was thinking about kind of the thoughts that go through and the approaches that we have to a new year. And I came up with a few pictures I want to share with you. Uh, Some things that I think about. Number one, for some of us, this is what this time of year is like for us. We're standing, we're excited about what's coming. There are new challenges, new things to try. We're running towards this sunrise and we're experiencing the sun rays unlike Tim shivering in the tent. But we are excited about what we're doing and what's coming this year to try new things. For me, um, my daughter and I are learning to make pasta. Okay. One of my Christmas presents was a pasta roller. And so I want to learn it's good Italian to get in touch with my heritage and make fresh pasta. So eggs and flour and a little bit of salt and voila, right there. Voila, I guess. See, I said it wrong. I got a little more work to do to get in touch with my Italian roots there. So that's not even Italian, is it? It's French, right? So I don't know. So we made pasta. So it's a great thing. And, and, you know, That's a simple thing, but for some of us, maybe there's a spiritual horizon that you're looking at and you're going, I'm excited about, I'll tell you one for me, I'm excited about figuring out how to build more in-reach into the community that we have here in Bryan College Station. I bought a barbecue pit, and I'm going to learn to barbecue, and I'm going to learn how to reach into this community with barbecue. I'm serious. (laughs) You find the things that, Blake has cars, if you know Blake. Blake has his automobiles, I'm going to learn barbecue and pasta, feed the nations, people. People love food, right? It reminds me of this. And for some of you, you may be thinking, hey, what, what might God do or use me to do this year? Maybe you're going to step out and say, I'm going to disciple someone this year. And that's an exciting adventure. It reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 4 where Paul says, you have received from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God But now I ask you that you excel still more. So for some of us, we think about this horizon. Now for others, this happy new year might take on a little bit different flavor. Maybe it's a chance to reset. Maybe it's a hope that something will be different. Maybe we're tired of the old and we want something new. Like my clothes. I've looked in my closet for the last two years and I wear the same six shirts Every week, I've had the same blue jeans, they finally got holes in them, and my wife bought me new clothes, and I am wearing them today. And I'm going to tell you what, I look good, right? And I walked in, and I went, I went, I look at my clothes, and I'm going, oh, it feels fresh. It's not the same old thing. You know, that's a silly illustration, but for some of us, we want to remove the old habits, and we want to create new habits. That's why we have New Year's resolutions, right? I've always said that when I get 40, I need to have tone muscles, a strong core, flexibility, and cardio. And I am O for four. (laughs) Uh, But that's why I say every year I'm going to try these new habits to develop that. Another habit I wish I could change, one that I'm ashamed of, is my lack of patience. Man, I, I was called, I had a short fuse in high school, I started to know the Lord, I got it longer and out short again. And I've got to work on that. that, that's something I've got to work on. For some of us, maybe it's a sin struggle that we say, I've got to remove this sin in my life. For others, it's a behavioral rut. I know I've shared this here before, but for Catherine and I, uh, with some pressures we've had in our lives and having kids, young kids, and, and trying to learn how to be parents and um, trying to figure things out, we, we've just been doing this this last year. We started uh, just doing this and, and, and we would address it and then we would do it again. And just a lot of behaviors in, in the way that I respond to her and she responds to me that we don't like and that we want to change. That we want to be moving up. And my, I love my wife because she doesn't settle for just mediocrity in our marriage. She wants to thrive in our marriage and say, let's be all that we can be in Jesus Christ. And so we started going to counseling this semester. We've been three times. We're learning about ourselves a little bit more, things we thought we knew. But I, I recommend it. It's one of those things where we want to change old habits and we need some help to get there. And so we're moving towards some new habits, and it reminds me in Ephesians where, where, where Paul says, you lay aside the old self so that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. So that's another illustration of where some of us might be in this happy new year. For others, this may be it. Maybe you are truly walking out of a very, very hard year relationally. Maybe some relationships have been broken Maybe emotionally it 's been difficult, maybe financially it 's been the hardest year you 've ever experienced. Maybe physically you face some difficulty, and you are walking towards the light, and you can 't wait to leave this year behind. maybe you 've carried an intense burden this year i 've carried a farm, okay my, my dad died two years or two and a half years ago, and I, I inherited um, my mom in, in a nursing home and a farm with very little cash flow. And so we had to try to make that work. And that's probably one of the reasons why my wife and I are working in the struggles we're working now is because I gave so much time to it. And I'm so thankful to step out of that burden and move to a new phase of life. For some of you, it may be an incredible loss. We we had a family just recently, over Christmas break, lose lose family members in a car wreck. And maybe this year represents... Such difficulty and such hardness that you are so ready to leave it behind and move forward. It reminds me of Philippians 3 where Paul says, Forgetting what lies behind, I reach forward to what lies ahead. Remember, Paul murdered and killed Christians and took them to jail. Not physically killed them, but he put them in jail and had them stoned. And, and that was one of the things where, you know, I look at his life and he goes, I strive for what's forward because there's where Christ is. You know, something interesting about this picture, I, I made you see it the way I wanted you to see it, that he's walking towards the light, but he could be walking into the darkness. For some of you, maybe the year coming up is one where you're going to walk into, out of the light and into darkness. On Christmas Eve, as we were getting ready for the service, someone, a friend of mine who was up here, got word that a family member was in the hospital. And the news that they got was cancer. And so they're looking at this picture and not seeing walking into a new year with light, but walking into maybe a new year with loss. And one of the things that happens for us when we step into a new year, whether we're excited about what we could be, or we're in a desperate need of a reset, or we may be walking in something hard, is that we remember that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We consider him, so we will not grow weary and lose heart. But as we think about all those things, it reminds us, and I think if I'm deeply honest with myself, and I think if we're all deeply honest, for one reason or another, it reminds us that we all long for renewal. Now and in the future. And the great news for us on December 31st, 2018, is that that is what God is doing through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you Revelation 21. I want to highlight a verse for you. In 21, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. See, that's why Jesus came. That's why six days ago we celebrated his entry into humanity in this earth as a baby. Because that was his purpose, is to rescue what is lost to fix what is broken, to reconcile those who are separated from him, to renew what has been decayed. You know, they say that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men and women. And it helps us recognize our mortality, except during your teenage years. But it reminds us that there's eternity, that there's life after death. And I'm convinced, just for me, That the reason God gave us seasons and weeks and days that there's a new day, a new dawn, a new year is to remind us the newness that he brings. That one day that there's a reset, that one day this broken world will be made new and that he will make all things new. And even though he will, he says he that he's making all things new. doesn't say will, he's making all things new. One day it will all be made new, but he is in the process even now in the power of his resurrection of making things new, making us new. As I think about that, this hope of renewal on the verge of a new year is the grander underlying feeling that we sense as we stand and we say happy new year. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. As I think about this idea of rescue and renewal, it makes me think of Christ's first miracle in John chapter 2. And I would ask you to turn there now if you've got your Bibles. And we're just going to briefly walk through Jesus' first miracle because it's a simple narrative with a profound implication, and the first thing I want to highlight to you is this. is As we look through this, you're going to see that Jesus rescues from ruin. He is the rescuer and the renewer. So look what happens here. In John chapter 2, verse 1, we'll start reading. It says this, On the third day there was a wedding in, the Can- in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there's some great things in here. You've got, obviously the mother was there. Jesus was invited and he's brought some disciples. Just in chapter one, he's called some of his disciples. So we know at least Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel are with him. And they've come to this wedding. And he has gone to a wedding that he's been invited to. And then his mother's there. And lo and behold, they run out of wine. Now, one commentator says this. To fail to provide adequately for the guests would involve social disgrace and shame. Especially in a closely knit community of Jesus' day, such an error would never be forgotten and would haunt, haunt, He used the word haunt, okay? This newly wed couple, all of their lives. Now, hey, social faux pas, things like that happen. But this is a historical culture that we don't experience today. In that time period in Jesus' day. And so this was not a small deal to run out of wine. It was a big deal to run out of wine. They're talking about disgrace, disgrace. looking at them differently for the rest of their life in that community. That's a big issue. Now, I love the fact that Jesus' mom, a good Jewish mom, comes to her son. Now, why did she come to Jesus? Because she knew who he was. I don't know all that she knew, but but I know this. In Luke chapter 2, I mean, we just did this six days ago as we talked about Christmas, but Luke 2, he tells us, the, the shepherds are in the fields, and, and an angel shows up and says, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the shepherds get over there into Bethlehem as quick as they can. They find the baby, and they share with Mary and Joseph all of these things that happened. And it says in Luke 2, in 18, it says, after And all who heard what the shepherds had said, were amazed, and they wondered at these things, but Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, I don't know if Mary understood about Jesus, his humanity, and his deity. I don't know if she understood the Trinitarian nature of God, or the purpose of his first coming, or his path toward the cross, but she did know that he was the Savior. And what do saviors do? They save. They rescue. And this was no small thing. I think sometimes we come to Jesus and we go, Jesus, these are the big things in my life I need rescuing from. And, and she comes and says, they need more wine. There is nothing you can't bring to Jesus, not too big or too small. And, Mar- and Mary comes to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. Do something. Now, Jesus says to her, woman. Now, that is not, I want to say that's not a disrespectful term. Today, if I said to my wife, woman. That would be disrespectful. But in that time and in that culture, which is different from what we experience every day here, it was not a sign of disrespect. Okay? He simply is saying, look, my hour has not yet come. But regardless, his mom presses forward. Hey, whatever he says, do it. Now, let me say this. Regardless of what Mary understood, I don't know all that Mary understood, but we know who Jesus is. And we know why Jesus came. He came to save us from the ruin of sin and death. Jesus rescues from ruin. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That God created it perfectly. And then because of man's disobedience, creation becomes corrupted and is now broken and in need of being fixed, in need of being rescued, in need of being delivered from the The wrath that God is justly moving towards sin and death. And so, the beauty of the gospel is that all we have to do is by faith say, I believe in who Jesus is. I believe that you are the Savior. I believe you are the one who came and lived a perfect life, died on a cross, taking a punishment that I deserve, paying a price that I owe, and that you rose again three days later to prove that you have the ability and the power to offer me this gift. And if you just receive that, you get to be restart the renewal process. That's what he came for. And then the Christian life is a life of learning and, and surrendering to the Lord and repenting from sin and moving and pressing into Jesus so that he continues the process that he began on the day you trusted in him to make you more and more renewed. That's the Christian life. We, we've said it before. It's a very simple way of saying it, but that when we believe in Jesus for the first time and he transfers us into the, his kingdom, he says he's saving us from the penalty of death. And then as we obey him and we walk with him, he moves us into freedom from the power of sin and death. And one day when he returns and he makes us new and we receive resurrected bodies, we will be delivered from the presence of sin and death. But that's who he is. And that renewal starts now. And it will find its ultimate fulfillment when he returns and when he gathers us together to be with him forever. And he sets up his kingdom forever. That's what we long for. And on the verge of a new year, we remember that. Now, there's a second thing I see in this passage. And that's this, that Jesus replaces with something better. Look at what he does here. In verse 6, it says, Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification. This is where they would wash their hands. It was a ritual. It it wasn't soap and water. It was just water. It was a ritual, okay, For 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 their hearts, okay? It wasn't... They weren't using soap and cleaning with lard and getting bacteria off their fingers. And these jars, these um, water pots, contained about 20 or 30 gallons each. Now Jesus said to the servants, fill the water pots with water. And so they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And so they took it from him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, But the servants who drew it knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Notice what Jesus does. This is a beautiful picture that Jesus replaces with something better. Okay, you've got these huge 20 to 30 gallon jugs of water because you had a good size feast and they're in there and they're using the water to clean themselves. so they empty them out and they fill them with water, fresh water, and he turns it into wine. Now now think about this for a second. Okay? The water that was for the purification was on the outside. He's going to turn it into wine that goes on the inside. It's better. This is wine and it's not just decent wine. It's not just good wine. It's great wine. And the head waiter, who had been in many, many of these circumstances, who knows what wine tastes like, walks up and he's shocked. He's so shocked that he goes and finds the groom and pulls him aside and says, this is amazing how gracious and wonderful you are. And I'm, I'm sure he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't know what you're talking about. But who knew what happened? the ones who pulled the water, the ones who heard Jesus give the commands. And he gave the best in abundance. I just did a little math, and I think I got my calculations correct. But a normal bottle of wine is 750 milliliters. That's about a fifth of a gallon. So that's five bottles per gallon, and we're looking at 120 to 180 gallons. That's 600 to 900 bottles of wine. That means there's a bottle of wine for every person in here right now. That's a celebration, people. (laughs) That's Happy New Year! (laughs) Now think about that. What does that tell us about God? What does that tell us about the Son of Man, that he was at a wedding feast and he kept the celebration going? Please hear this, that God stands opposed to sin and unrighteousness, but our God is a God of celebration. Our God is a God who says, I will rejoice when the one is found. And he continues the celebration and makes it even better than it was because he brought better wine. That struck me when I read this, the simplicity that he brings something better. But then it got me thinking about the rest of the book of John and just the surrounding chapters. And I found some things where I went, you know what? That's better. And that's better. And that's better. And that's better. And let me just show these to you really quick because Jesus replaces the brokenness of He renews with something better. Let me just highlight a couple of these. He brings a better life. John chapter 2, right after this feast, it talks about Jesus going to the temple and he finds the money changers and he pushes them all out. And the scribes and the Pharisees say, by what authority do you do that? And look what Jesus says in 2, 18 and 19. He says, the Jews said to them, what sign do you show as an authority for doing these things? And Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he wasn't talking about the real temple. He was talking about the temple of his body, that he would die and rise again. Because, see, the life that he has to offer us is a life that conquers death. The life that we have now is a life that only will know death. But the life that he offers, we see in John 3, 16, that you might have eternal life. Not perishing, but have eternal life. He offers a better life, and he has better authority because he conquered death and sin. In John chapter 3, we see a better birth. Remember, that happens, and then Nicodemus comes to him by night and, and asks him and says, Hey, we know that you're a teacher coming from God. And Jesus tells him some things, and he says, Wait a minute. And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see a kingdom of God. When we are born into this world, we are born into sin and death. And yet, Christ comes along and says, I offer you a different birth, a birth that brings life that places you into the family of God. Not into the family of humanity that's end is death, but the family of God whose destiny is eternal life. It's a better birth. And then we go on in chapter 4, and he, th- he meets a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman. And she's thirsty. And he sent his disciples off, and he's sitting there, and the woman comes up, and she's looking at the water. And he says to her, look what he says. He says in 4.10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. We all experience this. We walk into this world and we're hungry and we're thirsty and we're looking for more satisfaction, more fulfillment. And Christ says, I have something that will well spring up in you that will give you ultimate satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment more than anything else. Because what I offer is better than what the world has. It's better. And not to be outdone. then she goes, now, wait a minute. That's great. Um, You seem like you know how to worship and whatnot. And, And he says, go Go get your, or he says something about her husband. What does he say? He says, this, this is what happens to you on stage sometimes. You forget where you're going. He says, go get your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, that's right, because you have five other ones. You've had five husbands. And and he says, she says, well, let's change the topic. Let's talk about where you worship. And Jesus says something new there because he has a better worship. She says, They say you should worship on this mountain or Jerusalem. What do you say? And he says, look, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. It's not about a location. It's not about this building. It's not about who stands on this stage. It's not about what we wear, even though I look good. It is about what God does in the hearts of men and women, that he places his spirit within us when we trust in him, and he renews us from the inside, and he gives us a new closeness to God and an access to God that they did not know. When he puts his spirit within us, everything that Jesus offered is better. And then you get this, this woman goes, oh my goodness, I have met someone who is amazing. And she runs back to her village. She tells her whole village. They all come out to Jesus and Jesus is busy ministering to them and discussing with them and talking with them. And the disciples are worried about him. And they say, Jesus, you need to eat something. And look what Jesus says in 432, he says, Again, I have something you don't know about. I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were swinging, whether or not no one brought him anything to eat, did they? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. We all search for meaning. We all search for a life that matters. But the greatest life and the most meaningful life, the better life, the life that God has for us is when we are on his agenda, not our own. When we're doing the work he has called us to. All of these things are better. Remember in John 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. I And the miracle worker at the wedding. I am the winemaker who continues the celebration. I am the one who brings life, not death. I am the one who wants you to experience life in the fullest way possible. And everything that I bring to you is better. That's the God we have. And you know what God says to us? He says this, humble yourselves and I will lift you up. Humble yourselves and I will lift you up to better and greater things. More than you could imagine. That is the Jesus who replaces with something better. And the last thing I want to share is this. Is that Jesus reveals to build faith. The last verse in this section, John 2.11, it says, this beginning of, of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. What is a sign? A sign is something that tells us something, it points us in a direction, it gives us information. And what Jesus did in this miracle is this He pointed us to these ideas that He wants us to know that He has the power and ability to create, to restore, to renew, to save that he wants us to know that he is the God of celebration. He wants us to know that he is working behind the scenes even when you don't know about it, even when you don't see it. That's the God who is making all things new and that we worship today as we enter a new year. And I want to say this. This is true of you. If you have placed your faith in Christ, regardless of what the world says, tells you, regardless of what you put out on Facebook, regardless of what people might say to you or about you behind your back, this is who you are. If you are in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are a new creature. The old things have passed away and new things have come. And what Christ wants us to do is live out of that newness. If you have not placed your your faith in Christ, then what he's calling you today is to, to pray about that. To come before him humbly and say, Lord, if this is true, help me believe. And receive the free gift that God has for you. But if you've received it, then live out of your newness because our God is a god Of renewal. And on the verge of a new year, that's what I want to remind us of, is that we are to live out that truth, that new things have come, that we remove old habits, that we we take on burdens in new ways, that we face loss and death with hope, because we have hope. We have hope that conquers all the fears that could come our way. If we will rely on the Lord in that way. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to all have the same two New Year's resolutions. Here's what I want our New Year's resolutions to be. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to look up into heaven with your hearts and say this I will trust you deeper and further than I ever have before. I will trust you deeper and further than I ever have before. And I want you to say this, I will hold on to the things of this world less and I will hold on to you more. I will hold on to the things of this world less and I will hold on to you more. Because we have a God who rescues us from ruin, who replaces us, replaces with something better and reveals that he might build faith in us. Let me pray for us and we will enter the new year Living out the new life God has given us. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a God who renews, who rescues, who is not satisfied to leave us where we were in death and sin. And you are not willing to leave us even close to it. Because one day you will come and you will remove it and you will put it in its place far away and you will make all things new ultimately. And as we long for that day and as we hope for that day, I pray, Lord, that we would be the agents of renewal in this world now, that you would be working on us to renew us, that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would allow you to do that renewal in us day after day. As you say, let the be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And as we live that life out, I pray that you would receive the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name and by the power of his Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Guys, have a wonderful, celebratory, and happy new year. And stay warm. It's going to get really cold tomorrow.